So over the past uh, few years, I've picked up a new hobby that I've really grown to love. And that hobby is uh, growing my own garden. My wife has woken up more than once uh, and seen an empty spot beside her just to look out the window to see me uh, early in the morning, uh, walking through my garden, pruning it, picking uh, the fruit that the Lord has provided in it. And so I love to garden. But even though I love to garden, I'm still not the best at gardening. I didn't start my pepper plants on time this year. With If you're a professional gardener, you know that that's a big-time rookie mistake. I didn't water my cucumbers enough, so they all died. And um, I thought the bigger my tomato plants were, the more tomatoes I would get. But turns out, just the more blight that you get on your tomato plants. And so I've made a bunch of mistakes, and one mistake that I made at the beginning of the year was that um, I planted my tomato seeds, and I thought uh, that I would just be able to determine what the plants were, uh, what type of tomato plant it was by simply looking at it. So I didn't label or identify my seedlings, and if you've done any gardening, you'll know that, that was a really bad idea. So it turns out that tomato plants all look identical until they actually start to grow tomatoes on them. And so it is not until you can actually see the fruit of the plant that you can figure out what type of plant, what type of tomato plant it actually is. And the reason that I start my sermon off this way is because in our passage this morning, that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about trees and fruit We're talking about how good trees are going to produce good fruit, how bad trees are going to produce bad fruit, and how the the fruit of a tree is really going to tell you what type of tree you're actually dealing with. Now, Jesus here is the the point of this is not to give us some sort of you know horticulture lesson or to give us a study in plant identification. He's using this idea of trees and fruit as an analogy for people, as an analogy for people like us, an analogy for people in the world. How do we go about identifying people? How do we go about identifying people? And just as plants are known by their fruit, so are people. So are Christians and so are non-Christians known by their fruits, by their works. I mean, think to yourself, you've probably encountered some sort of instance in your life where you've had to make some sort of evaluation or judgment regarding the character of an individual. Maybe it's, I have to do this one a lot, maybe it's a a child or a person who who wants to be baptized. Maybe your child comes to you and says, Dad, Mom, I want to be baptized. And part of your responsibility, if you believe in believer's baptism, is to, to evaluate to see whether or not they're actually a Christian and should be baptized. Or maybe it's a politician. We have lots of politicians out there that say that they're Christians, but we have to evaluate whether or not they actually are, if we want to vote for them, if we want to trust what they have to say. Or maybe it's a potential business partner that you're looking to get into business with. Or maybe, and I think this is one we should all think about, it's a question you have to to ask yourself. You have to evaluate yourself and think, am I really a Christian? 
And so how do we evaluate that in others and in our own lives? Well, what we look to to determine the character of an individual is we look to their conduct. To know what type of tree you're looking at, you look to the fruit of that tree. Conduct is the great test of character. And so with that, let me read our passage this morning to help guide us in that as we are called to be good judges in this world. So Luke chapter 6, verses 43 to 45. Hear God's word. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Now you may have recalled that a few weeks ago I preached on the topic of judging. And we went over that famous verse, judge not lest ye be judged. And talked about how many people will take that verse and use it kind of as like a trump card against all Christians. Anytime a Christian says abortion is murder or sodomy is an abomination to the Lord or it is wrong to mutilate children with surgeries and hormones, the unbeliever will come and pull out the judge not lest ye be judged card implying that we are not allowed to make any sort of judgment on people or their actions. But if you remember, Jesus is not condemning any sort of judging. Jesus is condemning a particular sort of judging. And we talked about how there's two main types of judging that Jesus is going after here. He's going after hypercritical form of judgmentalism that seeks to just be critical of everything, making molehills into mountains, uh, always arguing over these disputable matters that Paul calls in Romans 14. They have a hard time of extending grace and forgiveness to others. That's the type of hypercritical judgment that, that Jesus is going after. And he's also speaking against hypocritical judgment. Someone who's very hard on others or someone who is, is, is always calling out things in others but won't look back at themselves and see their own sin. Someone who expects certain things of people and judges them when they fail, but when they fail, uh, they get a free get-out-of-jail card. Those are the types of, of judging that are wrong and that are sinful and that if they are present in our lives, we need to repent of them and stop judging one another in those ways. But in this passage, Jesus further clarifies for us that not all judging is wrong. Christians are actually called to judge. In fact, he's going to tell us here how we are to judge properly. You know, how can, how can we evaluate both others and ourselves? See, there's going to come times in our lives more often than we think, where we need to judge, evaluate, or discern the character of someone, including ourselves. For example, our church uh, is looking to appoint elders. And as part of appointing elders, we want to look and judge 
as a congregation the, the uh, qualifications of these men we are looking to appoint as elders. We want to take the Word of God and say, and, and take this man's life or these men's life, and we want to say, does it line up with what God says regarding an elder? Does he, does he qualify as an elder? We are called to judge and evaluate uh, one another. And then on a more personal level, Paul calls us to constantly examine ourselves, to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. This is, in a way, functioning as a, as a warning passage that God gives in His, in His Word to keep us persevering in the faith. You read through books like the book of Hebrews, and, and He gives them these warnings, do not be hardened uh, to the deceitfulness of sin, by the deceitfulness of sin. Or he says things like this, examine yourself to see if we are in the faith. And what what the authors are doing there is they're trying to get us to to look at our lives, to turn away from sin if it's present in our lives, that we might persevere as Christians to the end. And so we need to evaluate our lives to see if we are, are wandering or drifting or maybe even deceiving ourselves in what we believe. And so the sermon this morning then is going to have three points that are all going to deal with this idea of, of uh, how to evaluate, how to judge, and then how to make changes if those changes are necessary. And so the first point is that you can recognize character by conduct. You can recognize character by conduct. Second, Christian character will produce Christian conduct. And then third, a change in character produces a change in conduct. And so those are the points that we'll be looking at. I'll state them again uh, later if you're, if you're taking notes. And so first point, you recognize character by conduct. Look at verses 43 to 44. For no tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. Now that little phrase in verse 44, for each tree is known by its fruit, is what we're going to be looking at for this first point. And the analogy that Jesus is using here is, is meant to betray, portray that point. The tree, which in this analogy represents our character, is recognized by the fruit, which represents our, our conduct. And that's a fairly simple concept to grasp. I'm sure we all understand that. If you have three different fruit trees in front of you and you want to know which type of fruit tree it is in front of you, what do you look at? You look at the the fruit on the tree and that will tell you what type of tree it is. And the same is true for people. You know, if you want to know the character of someone, you recognize that by their conduct. And what is meant by character is your heart your heart. In verse 45, Jesus says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And now when the Bible uses this language of heart, it's not talking about the the vital organ in our bodies, you know, that pumps blood, that keeps us alive. When the Bible uses the the word heart, it's talking about your your true inner self, the place of of your desire, emotions, affections, motivations, and thoughts. Our heart is, is the center 
of all that, that drives us. You know, the decisions that we make in life, we make those decisions based upon our hearts. The whole range of emotions that we have from sorrow to joy, those all arise out of the heart. The Bible says that wisdom comes from the heart, but the Bible also says that folly comes from the heart. The Bible says that the heart can be wickedly deceitful, but the Bible also says that you can be given a new heart that is changed to love good and righteousness. Our, our affections and our desires all arise from our heart. Everything we do, everything we think, everything we feel, all comes from the heart, our, our, our soul, our spirit. That's why Solomon in Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, above all else, guard your heart. We often hear that, you know, if, if your teenage daughter is dating some guy, parents will say, guard your heart. But that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about look to your, to your, your, your soul, guard your heart. And then he continues on, for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from it. Our heart is who we are. It's the center of all that we do. And so Jesus then point, going back to this analogy, is that the heart, our character, is, is, is revealed through our conduct. He says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. What you, what you do is, is an overflow of what is in you, of, of your, your heart. And you know the tree by its fruit, just like you know people by their conduct. Our works are evidences of what is going on in our hearts. If our heart is good, it's going to be evidenced by good Christian conduct. If our heart is evil, straying from the Lord, it's going to reveal itself by conduct that is straying away from what God requires of us. And, and, and this truth that out of the, the heart flows our works is what allows us as Christians to discern and evaluate properly. That's how it ties back to this idea of judging. See, none of us, and talked about this when I talked about judging, none of us can peer into someone's heart. No one can see into someone's heart and know their motivations. In fact, it's, it's wrong to, to peer into someone's heart and assume their, their motivations uh, without actually observing anything. None of us can do that. Only God can do that. God searches the hearts of all men, but we do not. But... God does give us the ability to evaluate the fruit as a reflection of the heart. We evaluate the fruit as a reflection of the heart. Now, what's an application then that would come from this? Well, I think a big one for us is that you know, people can often say things about their character. People can say you know, they love to do all of these good things. They can say they're a really good person, but it's really the conduct that we look to to see if it's actually true. You know, our, our conduct speaks louder than our words. And so let me give you an example. Did you know that in 2021, when this, the Canadian census came out, 53.3% uh, of Canadians identified themselves as Christians? 53.3% of Canadians identified themselves as Christians. That's when we look at our population, that's 20 million. So the claim is that we have 20 million Christians living here in Canada. Now, either I am completely missing what it means to be a Christian, or all the Christians have fled the country, or they're all living somewhere up in Nunavut. 
Or, and most likely the case, there are a lot of people in our country who claim to be Christians but really aren't. There's, there's 20 million people that are claiming to be Christians. And so how, how then do we tell the difference between people who profess to be Christians and people who actually are? And this is where the application comes from Jesus' words. A tree is known by its fruit. If there is no Christian conduct in their lives that conforms to God's law, then it's likely the case that their heart has not been changed by the Lord. And this leads us into our second point of the sermon. And that is that, that, that Christian character will produce, it's not optional, Christian character will produce Christian conduct. And look at verse 45 to see where that comes out. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So the second point, Christian character will produce Christian conduct. Now, quickly here, I want to say something so as to prevent any sort of miscommunication. Jesus here is not talking about how you become a Christian, but rather he's talking here about how you know you are a Christian. It's not about how you become a Christian, how you know you're a Christian. In other words, bearing good fruit is not the cause of your salvation, but rather the evidence of it. I think of Ephesians 2 verses 8 to 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not of your own doing, not by your fruit. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. See, salvation is by faith alone, uh, by by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. All of our attempts to, to justify ourselves before God with our works, the Bible says, are like filthy rags. We cannot bring anything to God and say, God, look at, look at these good works I've done. Now justify me and give me salvation. Now, we are saved by, by grace alone through faith alone. And yet, though we are justified by faith alone, that faith is never alone. That faith is never alone. True saving faith will always be accompanied by good works. You know, that's, that's James' point in James chapter 2. You know, people can say, this is what James is saying, people can say, I have faith. Anyone can say that. The demons can say that. The, demon, or the, the demons say that they believe, and of course they believe. They know God. They know, they know that God is true. They know that, that God is going to, uh, that God exists, and that God is just, and that God is holy, and that God is merciful, and God is loving. They know all of those things. They believe all of those things, and yet, James goes on to say that a mere belief in those things without works that flow from that is dead faith. It's faith that cannot save you. It's faith that is not true faith because true faith is going to produce good works. And that's the point that Jesus is making here. He's not saying bear good fruit and you will become a Christian. He's saying if you are a Christian, you will bear good fruit. Verse 45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart, out of the changed heart that God has given you, will produce good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. 
And so if your heart has truly been changed by Jesus, so will your conduct and obedience to God. See, in modern Christianity, there is, there is an easy believism that, that's being taught by many churches. That if you simply pray a prayer and make a profession and say with your mouth uh, that you have faith in Jesus, then you have got your you know, eternal ticket to the pearly gates of heaven, no matter how you live your life. If you've said those words, if you've said that prayer, you are in and nothing can take that away from you. But that is a lie. That is a lie that has damned many people to hell. Remember the words of Paul? Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's what Paul says. But then Paul also goes on to say, and such were some of you. But you were washed You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. See, God changes those whom He saves. He says, such were some of you, but no more. Because God has washed you and God has saved you and God is sanctifying you. Christians don't remain continuing on in sin in the way that we used to. Such were some of you. I think now is a, is a good time for personal reflection. You know, Jesus says that on that final day, there will be many people who say to him, Lord, Lord, expecting that they are going to enter into the kingdom of God, expecting that they are the children of God. And Jesus is going to say to them, Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, I never knew you. There are going to be people who are deceived into thinking that they are saved when in reality there is no saving faith within them as evidenced by their works of lawlessness. And one of my greatest fears as a pastor is that someone under my care would be deceived like this. And so I want you to examine yourselves this morning. Is there evidence in your life that you are a Christian? Are the the claims of your mouth reflected in the actions of your life? The promise of the new covenant is a new heart and the Spirit of God within us. Well, do you see the Spirit of God working within you? If we just quickly go through the the fruits of the Spirit from Galatians 5 verse 22, are, are they evident in your life? The first one, love. Do you have a genuine love for other people? And not not a worldly love that loves for the purpose of personal gain, but a sacrificial love. A love that is concerned more with the interests of others than the interests of yourself. Or joy. Would you describe yourself as as a joyful person regardless of your circumstances? Or do your circumstances determine your joy? Do you find delight and gladness in the Lord and what He's done for you on 
the cross? Is there a deep-seated joy that no one or no thing can ever take from you because of what Christ has, has done for you? Or peace? Are you a person of, of internal peace and external peace with others? Free from being overcome by worry or stress or anxiety? Content in the Lord and in His sovereign plan and hand in your life, no matter what that brings? Patience? Are you slow to anger, slow to speak, and quick to listen to others? When others upset you or fail you or sin against you, do you endure with them in long-suffering and in grace? Are you patient with your children when they sin or you just snap at them right away? Do you extend the same patience that God has extended to you? Or kindness? Very simply, are you, are you a kind person to others? Or are you just a, a mean and a hard person, a callous person with a callous heart? Are your, are your words that you say useful for the building up of others as we're called to do, or are they for the tearing down of others? Goodness. Do you not just feel good towards others, but actually do it? Do you seek out ways to bless others and to do good to them? If someone comes to you expressing a difficulty or a trial, is, is that seen to you as like a burden that you now have to, to, to un, unwantingly and unwillingly carry? Or do you see it as a, as a joy to lift that burden alongside them and walk with them? Or faithfulness, literally, are you full of faith? Do you trust God? Do you actually trust God? Do you trust Him with your job? Do you trust Him with your finances, with your home, with your, your family, with the country that we live in, with your health? When, when worry and fear seeks to entrap you, can you, can you sit back confidently and say, you know, I acknowledge that this is scary. I acknowledge that this is hard. But I trust the Lord. I trust the Lord who reigns in this. Are you, are you faithful? And then gentleness. Do you carry yourself with a, with a level of humility and meekness? You know, Jesus calls himself gentle. And we are to model the life of Jesus. You know, are you in, in how you speak with your children? Is it in a gentle tone or is it in a harsh tone? When you're dealing with people that you disagree with, are you gentle in your opposition? Do you rebuke in gentleness? Or are you quarrelsome and a bully? And then lastly, self-control. You do, this is something I say to my, my children a lot, and, and I have to say to myself, do you control your emotions, or are your emotions controlling you? And when temptation comes knocking, can you... Can you say no to that? Can you, can you be disciplined enough to not waste away your time and waste away your money and waste away the resources that God has given you on things that are useless? Now, nobody's going to score A-plus on this exam. Only one person has ever scored A-plus on this exam, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. As, as, as long as we live our Christian lives, we are going to be fighting against our flesh. And sometimes we are going to lose that fight. Sometimes we won't love our wife like Christ loved the church. Sometimes we won't be at peace with the circumstances that God has put us in. Sometimes we are going to get upset and angry with our children when we shouldn't be. And falling into those sins, 
I, I don't want you to leave here and think, you know, if I sin at all, then I'm not a Christian. First John says, if anybody says they have no sin, that they are a liar and the Spirit of God is not in them. And so falling into these sins doesn't mean that you know, you're not a Christian or nobody would be a, would be a Christian. But from what Jesus says and what from the Bible says as a whole, if there's, if there's no presence of, of any of these in your life or if there is no increase of these in your life as you grow as a Christian, then yeah, I do think that that is cause for concern. You know, if, you've been, if you've been a Christian for 30 years and you've seen no positive change in your life towards holiness, that should concern you. If you're, if you're stuck in a particular sin and you have no real desire in your heart to change or to overcome it, if you have no, no will to fight that sin anymore, then that should concern you. If your, your life before believing in Christ and after believing in Christ look nearly identical, that should concern you. You might not actually believe in Jesus like you think you believe in Jesus. Richard Wormbrand, when he was in prison, said something like that. He said now that he was in prison, now that he, he, he had everything stripped away from him, he had to seriously question, does he actually believe in God or does he just believe in the belief in God that he had? And, and, and that is revealed in, in our hearts by how we, we live our lives as Christians. Whether we actually believe what we say we believe or whether we're just along for the ride because of the benefits that it offers us. See, Jesus purchased you with his very own blood. Not that you would continue in sin, but that you would have victory over it. Not that you would stay in your slavery, but walk in the freedom of Christ from it. Not that you would continue to live according to the old self, but walk according to the new self. See, holiness, holiness is not an option for the Christians. You know, the offer of salvation is not like a menu that you get at, at a restaurant where you can say, okay, I, I want the part where Jesus died for my sins, but you don't have to give me the side, which is denying the worldly pleasures. Justification and sanctification are a package deal. They come together. And if you've truly been justified, then God is going to sanctify you. And I'm saying all these things to you this morning because I love you. Because I love you and I don't want you to be deceived. A tree is known by its fruit. If it's only ever producing bad fruit, it's likely a bad tree and you likely have a heart that is still hard and that needs to be changed. Now, the temptation here after kind of hearing a, a message like that, at least this can be often my temptation, is to okay, evaluate my life, examine myself, say, I'm failing the, in these areas and in this area and in this area. And so now what I need to do is I just need to try harder. I just need to to pull myself up by the bootstraps. I just need to work harder and I will change myself. But I'm going to tell you right now, just trying harder isn't going to work. Just trying harder isn't going to work. And this leads to the final point of the sermon. A change in conduct requires 
a change in character. Look back at verse 43. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. In other words, you know, no matter, you could go and, and staple apples to a thorn bush, but that's not going to make it an apple tree or make it start producing apples. You know, grapes don't come from a bramble bush. Good works are not going to come unless you actually deal with the root of the problem. See, if you want to see a change in your obedience to God, a change in your fruit in the Christian life, the solution is not just to begrudgingly obey. Any true or lasting change needs to be internal. I like how Jonathan Edwards said it so well. He said, even washed pigs still want to roll around in the mud. In other words, you can, you can clean yourself up externally. You can, you can check off the, the Christian checklist, but that does nothing to change your heart, which is the thing that God desires from you, to love Him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You see, that's, that's where the Pharisees got it wrong. They understood properly that God required holiness of them. But their solution was to obey God merely externally without any sort of internal transformation. And the problem with that is that the majority of sins are sins that come from the heart. Our sins are sins that come from the heart. And changing your external behavior doesn't deal with those sins. Mere external change without a a change of heart changes nothing at all. You can train a chimpanzee to, to not act like a chimpanzee, but it's still a chimpanzee. And so if you truly want to be obedient to God, if you truly want to see transformation in your life, victory over sin, your marriages, change your relationships, restored, it must start with your heart. It must start on the inside. Take anger, for example. Yes, some anger can be righteous. God himself is an angry God at sin. But for the most part, the anger that we have is, is not righteous anger. It's unrighteous anger that we struggle with. You know, maybe you get easily frustrated, annoyed, irritated, uh, quickly resentful or bitter towards others. You like to fight and you like to quarrel and argue. Or maybe yours is the opposite. You like to, you like to give the silent treatment to express your anger. Whatever, whatever it is, the temptation that we can have as humans who love to work, who love to work for Things like our salvation is, is we can say, okay, if I want to deal with my anger, the way that I deal with it is I just need to remove myself from the situations and the people that make me angry. You know, I, need to, I need to take myself away from that because I get angry in those instances and that's going to prevent me from getting angry. And ta-da, I'm being obedient to God. I'm no longer angry. But the problem with that is this. Your anger is not the actual problem. See, your anger is a, is a fruit of a deeper problem, a, a problem that comes from your heart. You see, you're not getting angry because of your situation. That's what we often like to say. I got angry because they did this. I got angry because of this situation. I was being annoyed by something or someone, and that's why I'm angry. But that's not true at all. That's lying to yourself. You're 
the, the situation is just the thing that is bringing out your anger from you. Your anger is coming from your heart. Your anger is already in you, and those, that's just bringing out the anger from the sinful heart that you have. See, James in James 4 says this. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? What causes this conflict that you're having with others? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Your passions are at war within you. That is what is causing you to get angry. You're angry because you have some sort of desire in your heart that is not being met. Maybe it's the desire to be left alone so you can go and do what you want. Or maybe it's to have your spouse respond or act in a certain way and they're not doing that so you get angry. Or maybe it's because you feel like you deserve to be treated in a certain way and when you're not treated in that way, you turn to self-pity and anger. And so because you're, you're not getting your desires that are in your heart, that is where anger comes from. So anger doesn't come from situations. It comes from our heart's desires. And so if you look at anger or take any sin in your life, take any sin and you look at it and you say, I'm going to fight this sin by just removing myself from the situations in which uh, this thing appears, you're not actually dealing with the real problem. You're just taking a Band-Aid and you're putting it on until that Band-Aid explodes at the next opportunity for anger. You're treating the symptom. You're treating the fruit when it's the root of selfishness and pride and idolatry that needs to be dealt with. Now, anger, just like every other sin, it's a heart problem and it needs to be dealt with at the heart level. And the reason I'm saying that is because if we want to see this change in our conduct, if we want to see Christian fruit starting to flow from our lives, I don't want you to, to, to leave here and say, it's, it's all about me just begrudgingly putting my head down and obeying the Lord. That's not going to, that's going to wear you out as a Christian. There's times when, when you need to just do that. There's times, let's say you're struggling with the sin of lust you should remove yourself from, the, from the, the opportunities where lust presents itself. But more than that, you need to deal with the heart behind lust. You need, you need a change of heart, and it's true of all sins. And so the question then arises, if the solution is to deal with the heart, to deal with the tree rather than the fruit, how do we actually do that? You know, how does a man change his heart? I've I've fought against sin. I am still fighting against sin. And one thing I can tell you is that I can't change my heart. I can't do that. But God can change my heart. Psalm 37 verse 4 gives us the answer to how we, how we, we change our desires and our passions. And this is what it says. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. It's not saying He's going to give you everything you want. It says He's going to give you the very things that you desire. He is going to change your heart. That is the key. That's the key to having your heart and your desires and your passions change. That is, that is the key to true and lasting obedience in your life. Who here is tired of, of saying, okay, I need to change, and then you start out really strong, yeah, you start you start reading your Bible because you know you're supposed to read your Bible. You start uh, fighting against a particular sin, and it lasts for a couple weeks. 
and then you get lazy in fighting it. You get tired in fighting it. Well, part of the reason is that the solution is that your heart needs to be changed. That's the key to, to, to not simply just controlling our sin. We're not called to just control our sin. We're called to not even desire our sin anymore. Delighting in God, that is the solution for all of us here this morning. Looking to the beauty of God and the gospel, meditating on His majesty and His glory, being overwhelmed with His, his mercy and His grace that is shown to us on the cross of Jesus Christ, marveling at His, his hand of providence and care towards you and towards His people, rejoicing as Christians in His rule and His reign. Obedience in your life is going to be fueled by a love and delight in God. And if you're not, if you're not that, that is what you need to pursue. And if you're not spending time getting to know God through His Word, getting to know Him through prayer, through, through reflection and meditation on His attributes and His wondrous deeds, the Christian life is just going to be a drag for you. It is going to be a drag but when you see and comprehend God's glory and beauty, and God transforms your desires to conform to His image, obedience no longer becomes something that you have to do. It's something that you love to do. You love to obey your Father. You love to do His will. You love to give Him your heart, soul, mind, and strength. See, if you're like me, you probably want some sort of application from this sermon like do, do A, B, and C. And if you, if you want to overcome this particular sin, that's how you do it. But, but there's no formula to this. There's no, there's no formulaic way that, that God has laid out for us. If you want to overcome sin, if you want to overcome any sin in your life, it begins with loving your God, delighting in your God, and letting Him change and mold your desires into conformity with His. And so in conclusion then, what's the main takeaway from this passage? Well, as I said back at the beginning, you know, if we are to, to properly judge, we are to do so both in our own lives and both in others' lives by looking to the fruit of the tree. A tree is known by its fruit. And if the fruit is bad, it's a sign that the tree itself is bad. And you might be here this morning and you've been thinking and you've been listening to this words and you've been reflecting on your life and you realize that my life only really has bad fruit. My life is only really producing things that aren't in line with God's words. Maybe I'm not a Christian. Well, if that's you, I do have good news for you. That God can make you a new tree. God can, can take your heart that is sinful and that is only producing evil and that has evil desires for the things of this world, and He can give you a new heart. That is the message of the gospel. Listen to the, the promise of God's words in Ezekiel 36. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I'm going to remove your heart of stone from you and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. 
And I will put my spirit within you. And here's the promise. And cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. See, if you will come to Jesus in repentance and faith, he offers to forgive you, to adopt you as his child, to change you, and to give you a new heart so that you can obey and follow him. And if that's what you want, I encourage you to come talk to me this, after this sermon this morning, and, and I, will, I will gladly share with you the good news of the gospel and, 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 and show you that Christ is, is worthy to follow and to give your, your life to. Now, you may also be here and say, I know I'm a Christian. I know that I have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that I'm justified uh, in Him, that He is my Lord. But I'm, I'm struggling with sin. I'm having a hard time in my marriage. I'm having a hard time with bitterness. I'm having a hard time with my children, with my coworkers. I'm struggling with my sin. My encouragement to you this morning is to do the same thing that everyone has to do. And that's to look to Jesus. To come to Him in repentance. To see the hand of forgiveness that He extends to you when you fall. To be overwhelmed by His mercy and grace. And to cry out as David cried out after he committed a terrible sin. Of adultery, of lying, of murder. Create in me, Lord, a clean heart. And renew within me a right spirit. And we have the confidence and assurance that he who is faithful, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, will do that in our lives. Let me pray.